trying to help Roxy up onto the end of the couch where there is room because I don't have all of my stuff for the podcast out but she insisted on jumping forward onto me when I was trying to help her onto the couch which put her directly onto the lap desk so that like was her toenails on the lap desk as I was trying to like push her onto the couch and off of my lap she didn't want to go Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode 12 of our series, Seeking Out the Weird, the Unexplained, and the Devious from Around the World. I'm Casey. And I'm Roya. And today, we're going to be going to Colombia. What are you talking about today, Roya? Um, I am talking about one, if, if it is to believe how many children he murdered. Uh, so trigger warning on... Definitely some child murder. One of the world's most prolific modern serial killers. What is it with serial killers wanting to kill children? I mean, what is it with serial killers wanting to kill people, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has their own reasoning behind it, whether or not it's a valid reasoning or a good reasoning, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I think that one of the things that I have noticed, at least in the cases I've covered, where people are targeting children, it's a couple of reasons. So normally it seems to be that either they themselves were targeted as a child, and so they are reliving through the abuse their own childhood and trying to reconcile that and not being able to. Um, Or it's a desire to, like, twist and ruin what is innocent. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a, a combination of the two. You know, they themselves feel like their innocence was stolen from them. And so then that causes them to have the desire to steal others' innocence like theirs was. At least that's a commonality I found a lot around a lot of people who target specifically children. Like, in a non... In a, like, sexual abuse and murder sort of way not necessarily in like mothers killing their own children and stuff like that that's different but yeah I mean what I have but yeah that's that's what I've seen at least in the cases that I have read about before the podcast and episodes documentaries things like that I've watched is that it always seems to kind of come back to like kids are sometimes easier targets especially Mm -hmm. that will you know come to be in the case I talk about and then sometimes it's you know a twisted perversion that someone has and then other times it's you know someone's inability to reconcile what happened to them as a child and the only way that they can do it is to take it out on the world unfortunately well why don't you tell me about this serial killer then what are you covering oh oh yeah you probably want to know that (laughs) um I'm gonna be talking about the um mummies of san bernardo 
Okay. Um, also, I want you to know that every time I read San Bernardo, all I was thinking of was Paul Bernardo. <laughs> Sorry about that. So thanks for that. All right. So we're ready for this atrocity? Uh, I mean, as ready as it can be. Mine is really pleasant for dead people being involved. Just letting you know. Mine's really unpleasant well, for yes. every, so everyone involved. Let's just rip that band-aid off and see how many times I say, excuse me. Probably a lot, especially at the end. Okay, so I am covering Luis Alfredo Garavito Cubillos. I hope I said that right. Also, I hope you didn't. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I don't know what he did yet, but fuck him. <laughs> also known as La Bestia or The Beast. He also has, um, I didn't write it down. I don't know why, because I'm bringing it up now, and I probably should have written it down. <laughs> but one of his nicknames is Goofy, but, like, Goofy from, Goofy specifically, capital G Goofy from Mickey Mouse. I'm sorry. I, I don't, I mean, he kind, I think it's because he kind of looks like if okay, now we got uh, now got to look it up. If Goofy were a human, like I can see the similarities between how he appears and Goofy, but he doesn't look particularly goofy to me as a descriptive word. And nothing that he did is goofy, so I don't know. But um he was born on January 24th, 1957 in Genova, Quindío, Colombia. He is... He does kind of look like Goofy. <laughs> we'll post pictures on the Instagram like we normally do. But yeah, he, like... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No. I was so infatuated with needing to look up this guy who looked like Goofy. I see it. Yeah. Like, I, it's kind of like if you imagine Goofy as a human and then squint a little. Like... Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't help that the mugshot is, like, the same color scheme as Goofy. Like the his shirt. Oh, maybe that's why. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Start over. <laughs> uh, so he was, like I said, born on January twenty fourth, nineteen fifty seven, in Genova, Quindío, Colombia. Um, he is a repeat offender of both rape and murder on a number of young boys over a five year period. Blech. Yeah. So he is the oldest of seven sons. And just grew up around tremendous violence. His father, from what I was reading, was a severe alcoholic. And he reportedly was severely beaten by his father regularly. And also repeatedly raped by two neighbor, two male neighbors. Um, I've also seen where, like, allegedly his mom was a sex worker. And that she would like the dad would force him to be in the room while the sex work was being done and also he was basically like sold to some of her clients but i found that some places and not other places so i don't know there's also another couple of serial killers where that happened to so i don't know if it's other stories blending into this one yeah or not I have to just hope that that's not so common that 
you know, multiple people who have turned into serial killers have all had to experience that. But it it was I it was something that I read on one of the pages I was looking at, but I couldn't find it on any of the other pages. Um, so he was poorly educated, only having five years of official education before leaving home at sixteen. And he worked as a store clerk for some time before transitioning to a street vendor who sold religious prayer cards and icons. Kind of ironically. <laughs> Irony. I mean, or not, depending on how you feel about Catholicism lately. But as he aged, <clears throat> he drifted, never keeping a job for too long. And he started to drink heavily and behaving increasingly aggressive until basically cities that he lived in would just chase him out because he was just becoming a nuisance. And then he would just move on to the next city. He, according to police reports, he attempted suicide once and was under psychiatric care for around five years to deal with everything. He was arrested on April 22nd, 1999 for the attempted rape of a 12-year-old boy. And while he was jailed, he confessed to killing at least 140 boys between the ages of 8 and 16 over a five-year period. 140 over five years? Yes. That's a lot. Yeah, I'm no mathematician, but let me get my calculator out. (laughs) So that would be 28 a year. That's like one every two weeks or something like that. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. According to reports, he confessed to killing children in 54 cities across Colombia, as well as some in Ecuador. Uh, the largest concentration appeared to be in his native region in the coffee-growing west-central part of the country. Obviously, people in Colombia were furious, disgusted, and terrifi- terrified. Colombia does not have a death penalty for murder, but due to the amount of crimes committed by Garavito, the chief of national police, General Rossi Jose Serrano, among others, have called for an exception in this case. There's also another serial killer that some, like, early on, they were trying to attribute some of this other serial killer's crimes to Garavito and some of Garavito's crimes to this other serial killer. And I'm not going to get into a lot of detail about him because I want to cover him at some point. He is probably the most prolific modern serial killer. And they basically figured out that Garavito only killed boys, and this other serial killer only killed young girls. Hmm. And so there was no cross. All of the bodies that they found that are associated with Garavito in these burials that he did are all boys. All of the ones that this other serial killer did are all girls. And so they were able to sort of separate because they were killing at just about the same time in a lot of the same regions. And the same targeted ages. Mm. So they were able to kind of, okay, these are Garvitos and these are this other person's. And that's how they sort of separated them. Because at first it seemed like, oh my god, did Garavito kill like 700 kids? Because that's a lot different. Mm-hmm. Okay, no. Not quite that many, but also 700 kids are probably dead. So it doesn't really matter who did it at the grand scheme of the number. But so 
When Garavito was questioned about details on how he did it, he explained that while he was drifting between cities, he would befriend children and start to take them on walks. And on these walks, they would, on these walks, they would go until the child was tired, and then he would then tie them to a tree with a nylon rope and slit their throats or even behead them and then bury them in shallow graves. Investigators presumed that a large number of them were sexually assaulted and abused before death, but the bodies were often found in such a state that they couldn't have confirmed that without a doubt. Mm -hmm. He would also pass himself off as less intimidating things, like a street vendor or a disabled person, a monk, or even representing himself as belonging to fictitious foundations, reaching out to try to, try to educate the elderly and children in order to gain schools as a, quote, guest speaker. So he was even trying to, like, infiltrate where the kids in his age range that he was attacking were going to Ew. try to befriend them that way. I don't like it. I don't either. Garavito claims that all of the crimes were committed while he was drunk and he was being controlled by a, quote, superior being who was the one who actually committed the crimes. Ah, the old superior being excuse. Yeah, I was like, if you could have heard my eye roll. (laughs) Mm. Not to say that there aren't people that have been in that kind of a mental state that aren't, you know, mentally, but... When you start getting to 140 kids, at yeah. some point you knew what you were doing. Yep. The police have confirmed that they found 114 skeletons that Garavito has confessed to. The majority of victims were seen as easy targets by this predator. Children who lived on the street or were from poor families or children who had been separated from their pa- family due to poverty or political violence um and so the the political situation in Colombia is very severe and it has displaced more than 1.5 million Colombians in a little under a decade from what i was reading mm-hmm. and so there will just be like kids separated from parents parents separated from one another no one knows where anyone is and so that has caused like no one is looking for these kids And that's what's making them such an easy target. Even if they have a family that cares about them, they're either too poor to try to drum up enough interest for an investigation, or because of this political unrest and the political climate in the area, they could just be separated and they they haven't known where this kid was for five years. They don't know that they're missing because they haven't seen them in that long. Right. And the children displaced by the political violence can be found all over Colombia trying to survive by begging and selling newspapers or gum or offering to shine shoes. So he's reaching out and grabbing these kids who are looking for any adult to cling to for help because they're kids. They're not safe. They this don't know is what's so happened. gross. I, ooh. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> okay. awful. Mm-hmm. that'll be a fun clip i'm sure that'll sound fantastic on the recording uh the connection to garavito was made when witnesses and hotel records found him in the area where the murders were concentrated 
and in his home, police found the nylon rope that matched the cords used to bind many of the victims. So he basically got caught because there was a 12-year-old victim that he was attempting to rape, but he was, I guess from what I was reading, he was like doing it in an alley. He was like attacking the kid in an alley. And there was a homeless man who noticed and noticed like, okay, this kid is obviously too young. He's screaming and crying and trying to get away. And so this homeless man intervened and got Garvita, got the kid away from Garvito and then went to the police and was able to give a description of Garavito, what he looked like, what he was wearing. You know, the kid was able to say like he had seen him like in these places and you know the kid was able to be rescued safely and uninjured at least you know one scarred for life but yes yeah and so the justice department in Colombia needed more charges needed to needed more evidence to lock in the charges on Garavito so they had the 12 year old victim who was an eyewitness they had the homeless man who was an eyewitness and they had other people who put Garavito in the area, but they wanted to try to get him on more than just that one victim because he had admitted to more killings, but unless they could confirm that that was actually founded information, they couldn't charge him on them. So what they did was while they were holding him on the 12 year old attempted rape, the attempted rape of the 12-year-old, I should say it that way. They found at one of the sites... So, basically... I don't know where I bring this up. Okay, yeah. So, let me skip down a little bit. So, this is happening in 1999. He gets caught April, 19, April 22nd, 19... So, in November of 1997, a mass grave of Garavito's alleged victims were dug up by the police containing the bodies of 25 young boys. Initially, the police thought that this was the work of a satanic cult. However, this mass find caused the police to send out details across the country of Colombia to see if any other departments had similar findings and started connecting it to other similar mass graves or bodies of young boys who were found in similar conditions so there were multiple mass graves yes there you go that's i mean there's 114 there's mm -hmm. 114 skeletons that they found and that only makes up you know that's a mass grave of 25 so yeah i doubt that all the other ones are just you know a one-off laying around child. Yeah. yeah but that kind of leads into how they were able to lock Garvito in as being involved with these crimes. So at one of the mass grave sites, they found a pair of glasses, like eye, adult eyeglasses. And these were designed specifically for a very rare eye condition found only in men in a particular age group of adults is where it develops. They also found empty liquor bottles, adult men's underwear, and even men's shoes left at the sites. DNA was also found on some of the victims, along with the items that were left behind. But this is like the early days of DNA. This isn't 
Is this like the mitochondrial DNA sort of testing, or is this like modern day? This is 99, so they would have mitochondrial DNA. It's also probably at the beginning of um, DNA being able to be used, but requiring quite large samples. So they pretty much have one shot at any DNA sample to try it and see. Um, so they would have a limited amount of attempts and tests against a subject, but they felt really confident that Garavito was involved with these. So what they ended up doing is while he was in jail on the attempted rape of the 12-year-old boy, the police scheduled the entire jail to have an eye exam in order to avoid suspicion from Garavito, specifically to see if he had this rare eye condition that would require the glasses that were found at the gravesite. Damn, son. And so they did it that way because you can you can lie about your eyes mm-hmm. and say, "Oh yeah, no, I see that fine. This is fine. Everything is fine." But so they did it for the entire jail so that Garavito wouldn't realize he was being targeted for anything. They're just doing this yeah. for everybody. And so while he was out of his cell, the police went in and took DNA samples from his pillow in the living area. And due to the nature of his crimes, Garavito had been kept separate from general population and was in the cell by himself, which eliminated the chances of cross-contamination from another person that may have shared the cell with him. So they pulled out all the stops. So they don't just take a DNA sample like we do? Or they didn't then, anyway? They didn't then, at least. Hmm. I mean, and requiring DNA samples in American prisons is even new. For a long time, it was when you were leaving, like as you were being freed or released from prison, they would take Mm -hmm. a DNA sample and put it on file. But that, I think, is even into the 2000s before they started requiring DNA samples to be on file. Interesting. I could be wrong on that, but it's it's still pretty modern. I mean, we're just getting to higher levels of DNA testing requiring smaller amounts. Yeah, smaller and smaller amounts. Yeah, so we're still, I mean, there's still a lot of progress to be made as far as DNA goes. But luckily, the police determined that the DNA from the cell matched the DNA on the victims and the items left behind, and that Garavito did in fact have the rare eye condition required for the exact prescription of glasses that they found at the masquerade. Fantastic. So, the unfortunate truth is that Garavito was able to kill for so long and kill so many because he knew the most vulnerable to go after. Children who could not defend themselves with no families to report them missing or no money to try to fund a search effort or, you know, it's... I get into it a little bit here, but... Often these people get lumped into a category, at least in America, it's known as the, quote, less dead. People who will, due to outdated, misogynistic, and racist feelings, be seen as less important or less newsworthy after death. People like the homeless, people of color, members of the LGBTQ+, and sex workers. There's no one to miss these children, No one that can take time to call the police in a case over and over again. And even if they do, they won't be taken seriously because, quote, 
people go missing all the time. Children run away. It's not uncommon. And so because of all of this, it allowed Garavito to kill so many over what we know at least a five-year period. Right. He could have, I mean, he was born in 1957. Who knows how many he could have killed when he was younger. Yeah. You know? So, a judge in Tunha, Tunha? Tunha? Uh, The capital of the Boyaca province has convicted Garavito of the killing of 14-year-old Silvio Rodriguez, whose headless and tortured body was discovered in June 1996. He also found Garavito guilty of attempted rape of a 12-year-old boy in April of 1999, the crime which led to his capture and arrest. Garavito confessed to murdering 140 children and ultimately was charged of killing 172 altogether. He was found guilty of 138 charges with with others pending in both Colombia and other in Ecuador and was sentenced to 1,853 years and nine days in prison, which is the longest sentence in Colombian history. That is highly specific. I know, the nine days. <laughs> like, I'm trying to figure out where nine days came from. Like, yeah, was one just so particularly bad that they're like, and also nine days. Yes. Um, he has provided hand-drawn maps to the police with locations of additional bodies. And if the amount of bodies he has drawn is led to be believed, it would increase his total amount of murdered children to over 300. Jesus. Making him still the second most prolific serial killer in modern history. Ugh. Ugh. So... This is where I think you're going to be upset. Don't do this to me. The judge sentenced Garavito to the country's maximum prison term of 30 years. (gasps) Which reduced to 22 and 6 months because of a plea bargain agreeing that Garavito would not contest any additional charges that were filed against him. So he's basically just pleading guilty to whatever. He is scheduled to be released in 2021. Oh my god. But Colombian law, Colombian law states that individuals who have committed crimes against children are not eligible to receive benefits with slash from the justice system and are required to spend at least 60 years of their sentence in prison. That would mean that the national maximum of 30 years and the reduction as a plea bar- the reduction as a result of a plea bargain are not valid because they are considered benefits from justice, which would require Garavito to serve up to 80 years of his 1,853-year <laughs> and nine-day sentence. I'm so confused. Which is it? So, if he was released in 2021... He would be 64 years old. It's still possible for him to continue committing crimes. And if he were to serve the additional 60 years, he would be 124. A lot less likely of committing crimes because he'll probably be super dead. So from what I was reading, it looks like Colombia is trying some, some people in Colombia and some 
um, lawmakers are trying to push forth that he should not be eligible for any benefits from a plea bargain or the 30-year sentence limit because of the nature of his crimes. That basically he should be considered like what most other countries would consider like, you know, um, never to be released, basically. And that he shouldn't receive these benefits because he was a horrible monster and should die in prison. But I couldn't find anything to confirm without a doubt whether or not that was actually going to be applied. It sounds like it's heavily implied that he is going to be serving 120 or uh, an additional 60 years. Mm. But I couldn't find anything 100% to confirm it. But because of the efforts that I've tried in the past to look into modern cases outside of like the US, Canada, and Australia, it might just be that it can't be released to the news yet mm. um, whether or not it's going to be applied or not. So I couldn't find anything, but it definitely seems like the law is on Columbia's side in this case that he should not be eligible to receive those benefits um, due to it specifically stating that crimes against children are not eligible for those benefits. All of yeah. his crimes were against children. Ugh. And six, there was one 16-year-old victim. They say the age range was 8 to 16. One 16-year-old victim. Everyone else. Like, that was a random... Some people have speculated that the 16-year-old looked a lot younger. Had, like, a baby mm. face kind of thing. And was just a random kind of accident. Because it definitely wasn't in his preferential age range. Um, so the majority of them, I think, were actually closer to, like, 8 to probably 13 or 14. Well, that was fucking disgusting. And still the second most prolific serial killer I know of in modern era. Who's the first? Um, Alonzo. You're going to cut this out so you sound way smarter. Yeah. Uh, Pedro Alonzo <laughs> Lopez. I was I actually got his middle name but not his first name. On a glance at wiki page it says 300 all of the research and stuff I've heard about him has him closer to 450. Dang. Uh, which is why I was saying 700 children spontaneously missing in Colombia. 300 are Luis Alfredo Garavito Cabillos children that he murdered. And then the other 400 are Pedro Alonso Lopez's children that were murdered. So. Yuck. Yeah, he is super duper gross. He killed all over South and Central America. I'll cover him another time. I know. He is, again, kind of an unfortunate case as well. Like, very um, difficult childhood, uh, very troubled childhood, kind of like the Charles Manson, like, didn't really have a chance to save themselves. Mm. But let's lighten the mood and hear about some mummies, because <laughs> yeah. I, I think we both feel super gross. Ew. So, 
This is, I've titled this Mummies, Not Just for Egyptians. Uh, so mummification has been around for literally centuries, millennia. The oldest mummy currently known to exist is that of a 110 million year old Notosaurus that they found in Alberta, Canada back in wow. 2011. Yeah, it was both mummified and fossilized, which apparently can happen. Hmm. Archaeological archaeologists mm -hmm. archaeologists have discovered <laughs> mummies all around the world not only in egypt but in china alaska italy australia japan southeastern parts of the u.s chile peru um in fact according to the bbc egyptians were actually comparatively late to the party when it comes to the art of body preservation as mummification has been practiced for thousands of years before the Egyptians got to the gauzy wraps and canopic jars and pulling brains out of pharaohs. Um, and there are essentially two types of mummies, natural or spontaneous, and artificial or anthropogenic. The Notosaurus, for instance, would be a natural mummification, whereas King Tutankhamun, artificial. Uh, Natural mummification is without human intervention. Shocker, because humans didn't live with dinosaurs. Don't believe what the Flintstones tell you. Natural <laughs> mummies, according to my favorite death expert, Caitlin Doty, are created when the soft tissue that normally would decompose fairly quickly just doesn't, usually due to extremes in temperature, aridness, dry or oxygenless environments like a bog, um, and over time, the body desiccates or dries out. It's nature's happy little accident. Um, artificial mummies are made with a little help from their friends, a.k.a. humans, on purpose. Using the King Tut example, after he died, the mummification process took like 70 days. And they took out all of his organs and they packed his body with natron and covered his whole body with natron until he was completely dried out. My favorite thing about watching Caitlin's video on mummies was that she calls uh, Tut the tween superstar of mummies because he is relatively young in comparison to some of the mummies that have been discovered in South America, for instance. Yeah. Uh, the Incas had both natural and artificial mummies. They had a bad habit of practicing human sacrifice on mountaintops, which would essentially freeze dry the dead. There have been yeah. at, at least a hundred recent discoveries. That's like the what the ice princess or whatever. Yeah, the ice maiden of Siberia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's so, one in there's one in South America though too. I thought that they found. Um, there's it. a lot. Yeah. There's a lot in South America. There's been over a hundred recent discoveries of freeze dried mummies in the Andes with their their gold and the idols that they were meant to take with them to their gods in their sacrifice. But one of the best parts that I found was that the Incans also used artificial mummification for their royalty. They would treat the corpses as though they were still alive. They were fed, clothed, paraded around at important events, and even consulted with about problems in the villages. Hmm. Can you imagine just sharing a conversation with your favorite resident favorite mummy. Well like, what should we do today to resolve this problem? When the Spanish came, they were like, Oh my god, I can't believe you do this. And they even described these mummies as still having their hair and eyebrows intact. But they uh they burned or they 
they destroyed all the mummies essentially because they needed to save their mortal souls. Yay, Jesus. So, sure. <laughs> there were Europeans, ancient Europeans discovered in China with red blonde hair and tartan clothing still intact. There are the Chinchoral mummies, Lady Rai, Siberian Ice Maiden, as we mentioned, the Diva Corpse in China, the Turin mummy, the Iceman. The list goes on. And I'll probably cover some of these as we continue down this road around the world because turns out I like talking about corpses as well as severed penises. <laughs> but today we're in Colombia, so let's get to the nitty gritty of this corpse conundrum. San Bernardo, Colombia is a hot tourist destination located high in the Andes. Not only does this town of 3,200 people boast scenic hiking trails, historic roads with pre-Spanish Aztec sunstones, or Piedra de Sol, and a, quote, imposing church, but it is also home to decades-old mummy mystery. Yes, only decades. In Colombia, both because of tradition and the conditions of the earth, the dead are typically interred in above-ground vaults called bovedas. The bodies are generally then removed after five years or so due to space constraints, which, by the way, isn't uncommon around the world. Like places like Germany, Spain, and the Philippines, you essentially rent a grave until you decompose, and then your bones are moved elsewhere. Your family just comes and collects you and puts you somewhere else. Hmm. But San Bernardo found that after five years, many of their loved ones were at least partially mummified. Nearly half of the bodies buried in the town's cemetery vaults after five or six years turn into mummies, and no one knows why. The preserved remains were first discovered sometime between the 50s and 60s when the cemetery needed to relocate due to flooding. Fernando Barbosa, the Secretary of uh, Culture and Tourism, evidently tells tourists when they come that they are speaking to a walking mummy, as he will likely end up as one of these well-preserved bodies. Wow. <laughs> The bodies are left desiccated with well-preserved facial features, hair, and clothing completely intact. Um, the people of San Bernardo have turned their small mausoleum into a museum, currently housing about a dozen residents born in the last hundred years in glass cases, completely mummified. Each mummy is volunteered for display by the family, including one mother-child pair where the mother died before the child was born, the, de the developing baby still preserved. Uh, most wear contemporary clothing above their display case is a photo of them from their more lively years, as well as plaques that tell a little bit about the person, like Margarita, the dedicated homemaker who always offered corn cakes and coffee to everyone. I like Margarita. Yeah. I'm down so, for some corn issue... cakes. <laughs> With uh, San Bernardo is that there is no obvious reason for this phenomenon to occur. The people claim that it is not an anthropogenic mummification, that they don't do anything to the bodies to preserve them before they go into the crypt. But there's a lot of debate on how exactly this spontaneous mummification came to be. Locals seem to think that the reason may be because of their local diet, which includes certain unusual fruit. And I'm probably going to butcher what this is called. The Guatia and the Balu. I think that's right. I mean, it but, sounds uh, right. One of them is like a squash that I saw. It 
it's, it looked more like a squash than a fruit. But I, I don't know if squash is fruit in that weird tomato is a fruit sort of way. Anyway, um, those are commonly eaten in this town, even though they're not eaten everywhere else, I guess. But it seems unlikely because their clothing is also preserved so well. Others suggest it's the mountain climate and that the mummy's backs are arched like that of a natural mummy from a dry climate. However, the climate is neither excessively dry nor cold. The Wall Street Journal described the village weather as hanging around 70 degrees in the day and with enough rainfall to support crops like corn, onions, and green beans. I don't know how much water it takes to support those crops, but I imagine it's enough to not make a dry climate. Also, you would imagine if that were the case, that other nearby towns would be having the same effect on their corpses. The building doesn't provide any answers, as it supposedly supposedly houses the mummies with no pressure nor humidity controls. The doors stay open throughout the day. Some of the windows have been broken, and the public can visit any time between 8 and 5 for 2 Colombian pesos, about a dollar in U.S. currency. Hmm. Uh, But to most... The answer is in the highland climate and the porous soil. To others, it is the microclimate created within the tombs upon interment, um, or that there's something in the cement mix of these vaults, which might lead to an excessively dry environment inside, because after the cemetery relocated was when this started taking place. It didn't happen at the previous cemetery. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. And that paired with the fact that the only insects that can enter entered that can enter that can enter the bovedas are those found on the burial flowers themselves and the clothing that they're buried in uh can protect their bodies from the larvae. i don't know that any clothing is going to protect you from a hungry bug myself i've seen what moths can do is all i'm saying Colombian researchers say figuring out the cause is complicated by the fact that many families don't want their loved ones disturbed for study. Shocking. And honestly, it leaves me with more questions than answers, really. But fascinating what I know about corpses. (laughs) So what do you think? I mean, I think it's interesting. I know that there's a lot of correlation that I've heard about in, like, documentaries and things that I've watched between, like, climate and how their, like, bodies are laid out and everything as far as making mummies. I mean, there's also, like, um, soap mummies. There's different kinds of things that can happen to... Um, different yep. things that can happen to bodies as they decompose based on temperature, based on humidity, water mm-hmm. levels in the soil. I mean, there's so much that can affect how a body decomposes and what happens to it in right. the days and years following, you know, the internment. So I always thought it was interesting. I always just assumed that it had something to do with the... I mean, it has to have something to do with the surrounding areas. Because when you look at all of the different kinds of mummies that exist, it all tend to be at, you know, a a dry 
sort of arid climate, even if it's snowy and mm-hmm. there's, you know, precipitation on the ground, it's still dry and it's still, you know, cold and different other aspects of what's needed for the well, mummies that's what I to... thought was really interesting was that it was described and I think the Wall Street Journal is probably a pretty, you know, reliable source of information. Yeah. Um, you know, it's described as not being extra dry and not being super cold. And so what I find fascinating about that is that these vaults, these uh, bovidas could create their own microclimate inside. And that could be how it's happening. But it just seems so strange and the fact that it's only happening to like that um, 50% of the mummies or the or the corpses that go in. It's not happening to every one of them. Yeah, I wonder if it has something to do with like maybe some are sealed better than others or yeah. some sort of um, quality about the bodies, like maybe fat content or yeah, something like that. Well, the thing that's really interesting is that the the secretary that I was talking about, whose name I can't find in my notes now, um, he was they're having this conversation about how they're using these mummies to try to put San Bernardo on the map and like get more tourist revenue into the town because they were having such a financial crisis. But the families of these bodies, while they have volunteered them to be on display for educational purposes, are like. I don't know how I feel about a bunch of strangers coming into my town and laughing at my father's corpse or something. You know, people breaking windows in there and things like that. Yeah. And I get that. Like, I, I, have, I struggle with that to an extent because I feel like after, like after death, there's nothing left to a body. Like, there's no, mm-hmm. like, there's just a body and that's it. That's it. Like, that's all that there is to it. And so the idea to me of, like, I don't want... I mean, obviously, like, I don't want someone doing, like, illegal things or, like, being particularly gross or something. But, like, (laughs) science or displays or plasticization or anything like... Like, it doesn't matter if, if my body after death can help save someone's life, then I would rather do that. Right. Like, I would, I would rather live with the knowledge that when I die, I will be of some sort of use, hopefully, to catch a criminal or to prove the timeline of someone's death, you know, to donate my organs to someone who needs them, who can use them. You know, I, I would much rather have some benefit to my death than just, you know, the idea of you just get put into a box and then, you know, that's where you are forever and until, you know, someone else needs to use that space and then they just chuck you somewhere. Like, it's never appealed to me. As soon as I found out that, like, body farms were a thing when I was, like, I don't know, 11 or 12 watching CSI Las (laughs) Vegas for the first time and I was like, I remember telling mom, like, that's what I want. Like, if I were to yeah. die tomorrow, that's what I want. I'm telling you now. Like, donate my organs and the rest to science. Like, let yeah. me help. 
the issue with donating your body to science, I was just reading um, in one of Caitlin's books, actually, uh, the smoke gets in your eyes and other tales from the crematorium. Um, Good read. But she was talking about how people have that idea of, oh, I want to donate my body to science, not realizing that your bits get chopped up and like, so somebody might get your head at a plastic surgery school and they'll just perform fake plastic surgery on your face and then your face gets cremated. Okay. And you can't, apparently, this is the thing I think is so weird, you can't designate to who you want your body to go. And I'm not sure if that works for body farms as much as just saying, donate me to science. But, like, people think that their bodies are going to be used for, like, some amazing scientific, you know, discovery. And in actuality, some undergrad is, like, poking at your face with a scalpel. Hey, if that means that that undergrad can go on to not accidentally kill someone on a table or know how to do the surgery whatever i mean I'm not, yes i'm not using my face anymore hopefully that's if right. someone's poking at it with a scalpel <laughs> and i've been decapitated yeah i also just read a uh an article about how um cats were caught breaking into a human body farm to feast on the dead i, I saw that i was like that is so that checks out yep yeah uh, well, you know what? I always thought um, the weirdest thing was Lenin in Moscow. You can just like go and look at his body because he's still just super fucking preserved there. Yeah. You all. Next time we go to Russia, maybe I'll talk about Lenin's body. They've done that with some saints too, haven't they? They have. Like... Well, they're they're preserved in a much different way, like relics and things like that, and having their bodies displayed. But not in the make him look like he's still alive and just sleeping there sort of way that Lenin yeah, is. Yeah, that's true. I yeah, could talk I always, about corpses all day. I know, sweetheart. <laughs> I always thought the uh, soap mummies, I always thought that was interesting mummies, yeah. and particularly gross. Yes. That's, yeah. <laughs> the, there was another one I was reading about, about a Chinese medicine man essentially writing about how people would mummify themselves with uh, honey um, and how it, it essentially there's never been somebody who's done it but he was saying that it could happen um, but it, it reminded me a lot of the Japanese self-made mummies the self-mummifying monks yeah and they would well, just hide themselves in a box and eat tree bark or tree resin and Something else. I don't remember what it was now, but maybe it was bark and resin. Delicious. Yep. Until they were dead and then they mummified. Well, I mean, it would be, I think, the same idea as, like, the fossilized amber pieces with honey. Yeah. Like, the the tree sap and everything. Like, I could see how it could work in theory, but... Yeah. Well, that's the, uh... The whole mummy story from me. I feel like there's a pun there that we're missing. I mean, me too. But I kind of always feel like there's a pun I'm missing. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss the strange and unusual in Colombia and disgusting and gross and sorry about it. Yep. <laughs> we hope that you reach it, that you will reach out to us with your own experiences. We want your stories, your questions, and your feedback. 
send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you're sending a personal story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little bit more easily. I really want to do a listener episode. I think it would be so much fun. Probably make Jari like read through them and pick out some good ones for Casey and I so that we don't have any knowledge of what the other person's going to be reading. I think that would make it a lot of fun. No spoilers. Yeah. It's always more fun. Jari's going to be our river song. <laughs> so hopefully less killing people. No. <laughs> more. More killing people. <laughs> more killing people. <laughs> Just not kids. Yeah. I mean, I don't want kids, but don't kill them. I promise no more or no kid murder episodes for a while. I'm going to. I'm going to try to keep those kind of spaced out as much as I can so I'm not... I think we did a good job. We went from Canada to here, and I feel like that's a pretty good (laughs) globetrot. That's a whole ten episodes. Yeah, there are multiple episodes I could have done, but didn't. We can only do kid murder every twelve episodes, or every ten episodes. That might be a little too infrequent for some of the places we're going to go, but I'll do my best. Okay. You can also find us on Instagram at strange unusual motherfucker. Hold on. Cut. <laughs> you can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or on our personal accounts, Roya Rampage. I don't feel like I need to spell it anymore. And Calamity Casey, I also don't feel like I need to spell it anymore, where we will post the weird shit in our personal lives. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at calamity Casey or at Roya Rampage. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for the strange and unusual podcast. We're the ones with the really cool black and white and red logo. <laughs> also, all of our handles and everything will be in the show notes. So if you can find them. Um, That way it'll be a little bit easier for you to just copy and paste into a search bar or something. But if you are able to rate or review us on the podcast video you are listening to, I would greatly, we would greatly appreciate it. Especially Apple Podcasts. It um, helps with the algorithm of the podcast searches and gets us on to more lists and more... Get it just gets us some more notoriety and some more eyes looking into our podcast and ears listening to it. So it'll help us get ads, it'll help us support the podcast. So anything that you guys can do, it doesn't cost you anything, just go on there, leave us a five star rating and leave us a review. Let us know, send us an email, send us a DM on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or our personal ones. Letting us know, hey, I left a review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll go and read it, and if it's a five-star review, we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. And we really need them, guys. It helps us a lot. Even if you don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts and you listen to us on Spotify or Stitcher or somewhere where you're not able to leave ratings and reviews... I would greatly appreciate it if you could just go to Apple Podcasts, download it real quick, and give us a rating and a review, and then delete the app. I don't care. But it will help us a lot if you can do that. 
Do you hear us, people? We're begging. Begging. Please. This, we want this does to not do, look good for us. We want to do more. We want to be able to put out more content. But in order to do that, we need support. We either need support... Well, we need support both from listeners and then support from people who are listening to give out advertisements and give out things like that as well. And the only way we can do that is with your help in getting us on lists, good the good kind of lists, and getting our name out there. Share us on Facebook, share us on Twitter, retweet us, on your stories on Instagram. Anything you guys can do, we would really appreciate it. It will help us out a lot. Yes, what she said. Always my yes man. Yes. I'll edit some of that out so where we don't sound quite so pitiful. <laughs> I don't want you to. I think it's great. <laughs> um, I was going to say something in, in addition, and I don't remember. I know I'm yawning. I'm so sleepy. Okay. We, watched, we watched the episode of Parks and Rec last night where uh, Mona Lisa has that moment with her dad. She's just like, I just want to say, I just want to say that I have done absolutely nothing wrong. And I am perfect. He's like, I know, sweetheart. Thanks, daddy. Money, please. <laughs> that's that's what I feel like happened. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's us. Less annoying versions of Mona Lisa. No, I don't know about that. Or John Ralphie's sister. Yeah, we are much less annoying and terrible than her. Go back and rewatch the series. She is a horrible <laughs> monster of a human. I feel more like I'm John Ralphio. Like, oh, and then I'm Mona Lisa. The Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were the one begging. I just went, yes. What she said. I'm the one that sings. And so I was John Ralphio. Let's not leave this in. <laughs> oh, I'm leaving only your parts in, so you sound insane. Oh, excellent. (laughs) All right. Well, friends, we will see you in our next episode where we're going down under. To Australia. By the time that this uh, episode airs, hopefully the fires will be out and we can help put them back together. Not the fires, but Australia. Uh so yeah, it's uh it's a shitty situation in Australia and we're about to talk about some shitty things in Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.